Should we get this Rockefeller skank going? Right about now is when right we should get started. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 162. My name is CJ Schrader and with me, as always, my two so rubber co-hosts. First off, we have Jess Dunks. This is Jess. And Brian Prilliman. I don't know if I accept that that title, that moniker. All right. I'll accept, very... I'll accept Funk Soul Brother. No. No. All right. So we got a very special episode today, which is to say it's an episode we've done like eight times. But we're going to talk about emails. Only eight? I feel like maybe more. it's more than I that. don't know. I just I threw know. out a number. Well, what section of right. the comp rules are emails covered under? One. <laughs> yeah, it's probably in general. It's in general. It's right. It's right around where it tells you that you may use the uh, the locator to find yeah, an event that, around that area. Yep. So we got a nice little selection of emails: a few covering rules, a few covering policy, and then a couple of what I've deemed others. Others. Ooh. Others. Yep. Got some weird ones this time. So I think we should dive right in. Yeah. Let's do it. So this first one is from someone who only called. I'm going to assume himself. This guy says rules question time if i cast a village messenger so that's a werewolf and it has the werewolf transform trigger on turn one then on turn two suspend a rift bolt so that's a card with suspend with no other game actions taken by either player will my messenger transform during the next upkeep and the uh sorry i'm pausing here oh because no no we're good we're good all right so yeah (laughs) double check yourself there (laughs) <laughs> I know, and I don't know why I paused. Well, I was like, wait, why didn't it transform that turn? But it's because he hadn't cast it yet. <laughs> or no, he casted the first turn. Why didn't it transform the turn he cast Rift Bolt? Cast Village Messenger on turn one. On turn two, suspend a Rift Bolt. Another game action to take by the player. Transform during the next upkeep. Uh, well, uh, it looks like somebody missed a trigger here. So uh, I'm going to go with yes, assuming that's the case. Oh, no, a spell is cast last turn is the village messenger. Oh, man, wow. Wow. Just start over the episode. Okay, but the point of the question is uh, the Rift Bolt. Does suspending a Rift Bolt basically count as casting a spell? The answer is no. So even though you can only suspend something if you could start to cast it from your hand, it's still not the same as casting it from your hand. So if you suspend a card... um, it doesn't count as casting a spell, so no spells were cast the following turn, so the village messenger would indeed transform. Uh, I also want to add, though, that when that Rift Bolt comes off of Suspend, when you cast the spell off of Suspend, as in the final last time counter is removed and you cast it, that is casting the spell. So that would count if we're talking about uh, transforming them back or, you know, whatever. So. Yeah. Thanks. This guy... Yeah, who's got who's got what's got who's got two thumbs and ask questions about village messenger? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> okay, well, our next question is from uh, TC. Yes, uh, he's with TC. You. TC asks if the active player casts magnetic theft. Ooh, I love that card. <laughs> the active player casts magnetic theft, which says attach target equipment to target creature, targeting their own. Sky, I'm sorry, Sky Pit, their own spy kit, uh, which gives the equipped creature plus impulse one and gives it all the names of non-legendary creature cards in addition to its name. 
and they target their uh, the non-active player's rune claw bear. Active player uh, then calls the judge and says, "Judge, my opponent is playing Hermit Druid, which is banned in Legacy." Yeah, uh, that's not actually a question. No, that's a statement. Uh, but if I were the judge at this call, I would say uh, that's fine because they are not playing a card named Hermit Druid. They have a creature named Hermit Druid, which is not the same thing. I like it. I like that explanation. Uh, but but the card itself, as is is, is when it is a permanent on the battlefield. In this case, it is a Hermit Druid. But but the uh, but that's only as a creature because of the. You know, effects as a card, like if this were manifested somehow and we were looking at its name for something, it would not be Hermit Druid, it would be Rune Claw Bear. Yeah. Cool. So another question uh, in this email is that Spike Hit's name, uh, sorry, Spike Hit's name granting effect is a layer three and not considered a, a CDA, right? It is most definitely not a characteristic defining ability because it is not printed on the object that, it's, that it is effect- affecting. Um so it is something that is granted in uh, the text changing effect or the text changing layer, I guess, which is a little weird, but is accurate. Yeah. Also, like for CDAs, CDAs can only change. Uh, not only do they have to be printed on the card, but they can actually only change uh, uh, type, uh, power, and toughness, and then uh, color. I think can still, even though they've replaced most of that with color indicators. Uh, those, so those are the only those are the only uh, uh, characteristics that can be changed by CDAs. Oh. All right. Uh, so I have a question from Aaron. Uh, question: If I animate Gideon, ally of Zendikar, into a creature, as opposed to animating him into an enchantment, uh, <laughs> if I animate Gideon, ally of Zendikar, and then cast Eldritch Evolution, uh, which the relevant text on uh, Eldritch Evolution is uh, as an additional cost uh, to cast Eldritch Evolution, sacrifice a creature search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less um, whether uh, where X is 2 plus the sacrificed creature's converted mana cost and put that on the battlefield um, and I sacrifice my animated Gideon because um, this, is, this is the version of Eldritch Evolution that lets me sacrifice uh, the animated Gideon enchantment no, uh, the creature. Uh, he wants to know, uh, does this behave as I want? And the answer is uh, yes. It does exactly behave the way you want. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, does this behave as I want? And do I get to search for a six converted mana cost creature? Gideon has a converted mana cost. Or Gideon ally of Zendikar has a converted mana cost of four. Um does it does uh do I get to search for something with a six converted mana cost creature or does something weird happen here? Uh no, uh nothing weird does ha- uh, happens. Uh Eldritch Evolution cares about the converted mana cost of the creature that was sacrificed. Uh so Gideon has a converted mana cost of four. Uh things to consider if you sacrifice a creature with X in its casting cost, X will be considered zero. If you sacrifice a clone uh, that is a copy of, oh, let's say Bear Cub, then its converted mana cost is going to be two. If you sacrifice a double face card, uh, the the night side, <laughs> we'll say the backside, the, the yeah, the backside of the double face card, you're going to be um, 
you're going to be looking to the front uh, to get the to get the converted mana cost there. Uh, right. The back face was what you were looking for. Oh, there. sorry, back face. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. So that's that's pretty much that. You're going to look at the creature as it existed on the battlefield, uh, not as it exists in the graveyard or exile if something ends up sending it there. Sounds good. I should hope. <laughs> I actually really like uh, this next question that we have. Well, it's mine. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I was saying I like it. All right, good. Well, when you get to decide, uh, I, guess, I guess CJ, since he gets to decide who answers which questions, he gets the... Yeah, I just give myself all the easy ones, and then... <laughs> it truly is. I put them on this, the list in the order um, they're received, and then I just assign names to them. That's all there is to it. <laughs> I don't give them any further thought. All right. This one's from Jimmy. It's an interesting question I've come across. If I spell Queller, so spell Queller, I'm sure people are familiar with it, but just in case, it says when spell Queller enters the battlefield, exile target spell with converted mana cost four or less. When spell Queller leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner may cast that card without paying its mana cost. So if he spell Queller's a Radiant Flames, which has converged and says Radiant Flames deals X damage to each creature where X is the number of colors of mana spent to cast Radiant Flames. And then a turn or two later, my spell queller gets killed. Does the Radiant Flames remember the colors of mana tapped for the Converge? My initial thought is no, and Radiant Flames is cast for zero. What do you judges say? Thanks a bunch. Keep up the good work. So the initial thought here is correct. I feel like all these emails, the people already knew the answer, but here we are. Uh... When that's when that Radiant Flames is cast, it's a brand new object, and that's because it left the zone it was in. So the game lost all memory of it, and then when it's cast, it's leaving that zone it was in. So it's an even new object relative to where it was. Um, so it's a brand new object with no recollection of where it's come from, and as such... Hmm. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, <laughs> Radiant Flames? Uh... <laughs> It would do zero damage <laughs> because no mana was cast to spent was spent to cast radiant flames, and so it's counting number of colors mana spent, and no mana was spent, so zero damage. Very sad. So sad. All right. Our next question comes from Sergio. Uh, he says, "Hi guys, long time no talk. It's the guy from Mercaxico. Oh man, that was forever ago. How I, I vaguely recall <laughs> we had a long tangent about this." Um, Anyway, so uh, Sergio says, still listening to the show, still a super fan, but life has gotten in the way. Uh, anywho. But that, hold on. That's no excuse. Life, <laughs> That's all right. Life is... Catch up, whatever. Just, you know, subscribes on iTunes. Um, anywho. Just I had... you give it a pass, right? We, we demand the utmost dedication from our <laughs> fans. Look. So he said he had this discussion with himself the other, to- uh, other time after the episode of Monday Night Magic. So, first of all, um, talking to yourself about magic rules could be problematic. So, especially if you disagree with yourself. So, the question that he apparently asked himself is if I cast two Emrakul the Promise Ends, uh, do I get two extra turns and have twice the amount of control of the same next turn? Yeah. Does the opponent get two extra turns? Right. I'm sorry. Does my opponent get? So, uh, the answer is actually yes. You're going to control his next turn because of the first Emrakul, and then after that he'll get an extra turn. And then you're going to control his next turn because of the second Emrakul, which is the same next turn, and then he'll get a second extra turn. 
Uh, so you do not get to control the next turn and any other extra turns or anything like that. Um, the second question he poses is, if I have twice the amount of control of his turn, can I concede then? And the answer is no. <laughs> there is no point in which you can force your opponent to concede the game. So I have a slightly different answer. I feel like if you can cast five Emrakuls on the same turn in a legal deck, I'll let you have the opponent concede the game. Uh, I am not going to... I'm not going to pose that because somebody will do it. I don't think it's possible. To cast uh, five Emrakuls? Yeah, to cast five Emrakuls. In one turn? Why don't, you think, why don't you think it's possible? Uh, How would what about... Oh, what about Vencer? You, it lets you bounce a spell off the stack back to your hand. Oh, no. Oh no! Oh no! So you could cast, you could cast to get your five cast unique. trigger. What? Five unique Emrakuls. You can't cast five. You can't have five unique in the deck. I know, that's, that's... Actually, I take that back. I could cast my opponents. Oh man, you're right. All right, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is this is a question. This right here, this comes up like Emrakul questions come up all the time, and it's it's. Yeah, uh, this happens. It's also it's also the same thing, even on on one turn where at the end of your opponent's turn, uh, you flash in an Emrakul, and then on your oh. turn you cast another Emrakul. Well, you're gonna get the same result. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna double control their next turn, and then the opponent's gonna get two two turns. So, uh, thanks, <laughs> bro. You only still only get one Emrakul, so right. So make that turn count, I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Um so this this one is from Jimmy. Jimmy. Is this the same Jimmy that you had? I think it's the same Jimmy. I'm not 100% sure. Jimmy. Okay. Well, Jimmy, Jimmy asks, Alex activated his shambling vent. It is. Um what? It is, it is the, the same Jimmy. Jimmy? Okay. Alex activated his shambling vent and moved to the beginning of combat. Nick responded by casting Chilling Grasp. Uh, Chilling Grasp, what is that, minus four, minus four? Oh, no, sorry, I meant to... No, it taps. It's oh. tap it. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Tap set. Yeah, okay, tap up to two target creatures, you know, if I finish reading the question. Uh, yeah, so Chilling Grasp is two and a blue, instant, tap up to two target creatures. Those creatures don't untap during uh, their controller's untap step. Um, the question came when, uh, when it came to Alex's next turn... Does Shambling Vent untap since it's no longer a creature? My initial instinct says no, uh, it does not. Uh, but there was no previous rulings or reference, uh, and I think this is something I should know. Uh, it is something you should know, um, and the actual and there's an actual rule. It it doesn't untap, um, and the actual relevant rules kind of hard to find because you have to know like it's it's in the name section of the rules. Uh, uh, so it's, there's a rule that says if an ability, if a, if an ability or object uses a phrase such as this something or that something or those somethings uh, to identify an object where something is a characteristic or like being a creature, uh, it's referring to that particular object, even if it isn't the appropriate characteristic at the time. Um so this is this is saying those those creatures don't untap during their controller's next untap. It's it's referring to that thing, uh, regardless of what it becomes later. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. So this next email is from, and he 
specifically asked to be called this, The Elk Speaks. <laughs> and when he wrote it, he wrote it all as one big word. So I was like, The Elk Speaks? I didn't, I didn't process it right until I realized, or maybe The Elk Speaks? So I'm pretty sure it's The Elk Speaks. All right, Natalie has a Platinum Imperion, which says life totals can't change. In play, Alan targets the Platinum Imperion with an illicit auction. This is a good one. It says, each player may bid life for control of target creature. You start the bidding with a bid of zero. In turn order, each player may top the high bid. The bidding ends if the high bid stands. The high bidder loses life equal to the high bid and gains control of the creature. Uh, basically, what happens here? So, he, he surmised that since life totals can't change, the player could not bid any life. That is not correct. Because in this, for this weird card, you are bidding life. So everyone makes bids. Then the highest bidder loses life equal to the high bid. So I'm just picking a number, man. Yeah. So basically you're going to get trapped in this little infinite loop. Because you can just each outbid the other one forever and ever. And so that starts to fall into our nice little loop rules, more or less. And so what we're going to do there is just step in and say, all right, we have a loop here. Neither player wants to stop it, but we can stop it. We have a choice to stop it. Uh, active player, you have to stop the loop. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a question because I I genuinely don't know Uh-oh. know the answer here. Okay, so isn't when the when the spell goes to resolve? Um, if so, if I bid, so if what is it? Natalie has the platinum Imperion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she can bid whatever. Uh, you know, trillion D, billion D, because there's o- there's only one Platinum Imperion, right? Yeah. Okay, so she can bid like trilli- a, a trillion D, billion D, whatever, and it's not gonna it's not gonna change. Um, it's not gonna change her life total. I guess the question is, when it comes time to lose the life, mm-hmm. uh, who controls the Platinum Imperion, right? And I was under, like, reading the card, it looks like they kind of happen at the same time. And at that time, Natalie's got the Platinum Imperion. So if uh, Alan pays a billion life, he's going to pay that billion life and then and get the Platinum Imperion at the same time. Platinum Imperion's not going to be under his control to stop the payment of life. So, good question, because so I, I paraphrased the card. And it really does say your life total can't change, not life totals can't change. Um the highest bidder loses life equal to the high bid and gains control of the creature. So, I mean, that seems like that's the sequence there, right? I mean, it's it's gains a life and then can then gains it's it's and. So that's that's my question. I'm actually I'm actually un- uncertain, but I would think that realistically, Natalie's going to keep it because she can just bid more than Alex because Alex actually has to pay. Right. I, I believe that sounds correct. Yeah. Although it is a it is a weird one. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, so my point here was Natalie's going to win because also because uh, she she's almost certainly the non-active player unless this was cast with uh, Flash. So I hate to I hate to bring this up on the show, but this is a really weird one because bidding in this context, it actually falls uh, outside of the loop rules that you're referring to. I know. So I said more or less. Yeah, this this uh, we have to resolve this somehow. Yeah, we do. But you 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 you're kind of applying the philosophy of the loop rules here, but they don't actually apply to this card. So really, why? Oh, because it's not considered a separate. Yeah, it's so. 
So what are you gonna do? Okay, so you just you just look at the players and just stop it. Yeah, basically, basically that. <laughs> okay, but who's gonna stop? Like I, I would do exactly what you suggested. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I just somebody's gonna bring it up if I don't right, mention you're it. Right. You're right. Is that is that this doesn't quite work? But that is what I would do. I would apply the the policy that already exists yep. as closely as it fits. Okay. <laughs> cool. So our, our next email yeah, actually is a policy is a, is a policy question here, and um, it's from Mark, and it says Anthony has three forests in play. He plays Crumbling Vestige, which says when Crumbling Vestige enters the battlefield, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Then he taps his three forests and casts Thrun the Last Troll. His opponent, Nelson, calls for a judge and says that Anthony missed Crumbling Vestiges enters the battlefield trigger since he did not state a color prior to attempting to cast Thrun. When asked, Nelson states that he did not have anything that he wished to do in response to the Crumbling Vestige trigger if it had been acknowledged prior to Thrun. Would this be out-of-order sequencing? Yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> I, I have absolutely no problem with the player casting Thrun in this context. Uh, yeah. And if, if the if the opponent needs to know what color he picked, then we will back the game up to that point. Uh, but there's no context in which he should need to know because, like the player, the the active player here has priority. Yeah. Between the time the entire time that man is in his mana pool, he has priority. So right. I have no no objection to letting the player do this. Yeah, and just to be clear, if anyone's confused about that. When crumbling vestige enters the battlefield, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. You're going to choose that color as it resolves. So you don't choose right. when it goes on the stack. So like, they gained no additional information. You know? Right. I think casting Thrun, which yeah. you can't cast unless the trigger resolves, yeah. is enough of an acknowledgement here. Pretty strong yeah, indication so. that they remembered their trigger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, probably the entire reason they played the land. Right. So or, it's like, why'd you cast Thrun for three? Um. Oh, I forgot. It cost yeah. me full and I forgot my trigger too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, that's a great case where we don't want to let the out of. Um, well, we don't want to let like the missed trigger policy and the out of order sequencing policy are supposed to play nice together. Yes. It, the out of order sequencing is not a way to make people miss triggers. Right. So. Yeah, okay. So this next question is from Tom. Tom says, "Hi, love the show." Uh, that's all he no um just i mean it's really just a compliment thanks tom appreciate uh the words of encouragement um but he, there's more uh it says uh my understanding of the rules regarding player communication is that i'm not required to accept shortcuts if you say lightning bolt your bear cub uh am i allowed then to ask you to go back through all of the steps of casting your lightning bolt and if not which shortcuts am i required to accept uh, also, if I continuously did this, uh, would I then get a slow play warning or potentially get investigated for stalling? Um, Crack the code, so, Tom. Yeah, you, you did you it. Broke, you broke the game. This is this is how to make people quit. Uh, no, so <laughs> so shortcuts shortcuts um, uh, allow uh, shortcuts about not uh, the or the the guidelines that we kind of use uh, with regard to not accepting uh, a player shortcut basically exist for two reasons. Okay, so a player says, I want to do this. And you go, no, 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 I'm not accepting that. Um, 
There's two reasons why. One is the actions are sufficiently complicated uh, so that you want to confirm that they understand what they're doing or so that you can understand. Basically, it's, it's I don't understand what you're doing. Go through it. Or this is this is really hard. And I want to make sure, you know, you've got your your eight step combo and I want to see you do it to make sure that you don't screw up. So please go through it uh, at least once. Um and once you demonstrate that you can do it one time, uh, I don't think anybody's going to make you continually do it over and over again. The second reason is is because you, the opponent, want to respond at a specific point. In this particular case, uh, you're not doing either one of those. You're you're trolling, um, and you're slowing down the game, and you're doing it on purpose. So um, I'm I'm not going to um, if the player says, "Hey, I'm just gonna I'm gonna." Bolt your bolt your bear cub, and you go. Well, I want you to go through the actual steps of casting the spell. If they call a judge, I'm going to come over and say why. Well, I'd like to clarify something also really quickly. That's not a shortcut, okay? The shortcuts are uh, implicit priority passes between players. Yeah. So, so like bolting your bear cub or whatever you're bolting is not a shortcut. It's it's just a statement of what you're going to do. So like you can't even you can't even once just be like oh go through all the steps because it's not a shortcut and it's not a loop. It's actually it is actually going through the steps of your spell because <laughs> you announced it, you said your target, and you probably tapped mana. So if you if you are if you are requiring the uh, or trying to require your opponent to explicitly go through all the steps of casting the spell or go through all the steps of a of a combo. After they've already demonstrated that they know that they know how it works, uh, the judge is just going to say no. How many, and look at the active play. How many times do you want to do that? Oh, 50? Okay, it's been done 50 times. Great. Yep. Did, did you want to interrupt him at some point in those 50? No. No. Great. Then, Great. then we've done it. Right, and if you and if you begin and if you begin to insist that, well, no, it's it's my right. Uh, no. <laughs> There's it's like where do you want to interrupt nowhere okay fine (laughs) like you can't stop him unless you actually have a place you'd like to interrupt or unless you actually have a confusion about how this works right right no i want to watch him all 50 times and see if he makes a mistake one of those 50 (laughs) times no yeah um so so i think that the judge's direction is just going to be stop it yeah um yep so i really really much that I really like your point that uh, one reason to have them do the shortcuts to make sure they actually know how to do it. Because uh, when I was newer, the Oblivion Ring or Journey to Nowhere trick was big. And you could tell about half the people knew it existed, but didn't know how it worked, but knew you could do it. So this is where you would bounce something. Uh, you'd bounce the journey back to your hand to permanently exile something. You can't do it right. anymore with the modern templating, but... Um, On similar cards. Yeah, but some people, you know, they'd be like, well, I'm going to, you know, blob and cast this and journey nowhere, trick your thing. And it's like, well, can you tell me how that's done? And if they can't tell you how it's done, then they can't do it. Like, it's not enough to know it's possible. You have to know, you'd have to know the rules granularly enough to actually know how to do it. So that was one of my early things I learned. Yeah, and that's, and that's not like a huge, uh, uh, a hugely complicated thing. I mean, really what you're doing is, is you're, you're, you're putting a trigger on the stack, and then you're responding with the trigger on the stack, and putting yeah. another trigger on the stack. Yeah, but it's but I mean, 
I had just come back to magic. That was crazy complex to me. Well, I mean, no, what I'm what I'm, yeah. I'm I'm getting at is it's is is that's it is a reasonable expectation for for people to to know how that that works. Oh yes, yes. Uh, okay, so we're into our other category. So this email is from Daniel, and he says, "I'm wondering if it's possible to run an event without DCI numbers. My local game store is is, is doing an event at a small game con at a local middle school, but." Oh man, what game con? Uh, but nobody there will have DCI numbers in advance, and trying to get 50 some players DCI numbers for just the day will be a nightmare on logistics. Can I run the event with just names? Uh, and the answer is, at least last time I checked, it's yes. You can uh, run an event without DCI numbers. You can do it in offline mode, and because uh, this is how I used to run uh, local drafts, I used to play with some friends. Uh, offline mode will still require the players to have DCI numbers. Actually, so, offline, yeah. So here's the deal, though. It doesn't check them. So you just that's numbers true. In. Yeah, that could wreck your local player database, though, if you're trying to use that same Wizards yeah. Event Reporter installation somewhere else. Correct. So, but you can. So when it was just some installation on my laptop with only eight people, I just put in a random number and it was fine. Um, so as long, yeah. So I, you'd want to make sure it's clean install of DCI. Sorry, uh, were not DCI, but yeah, you can do it. Yeah, uh, I think you can also use uh, like Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon software. Yeah, is a little is a little looser about what what they require. Um, there's also just, I mean, you're obviously not sanctioning this. There's there's online um, pairing systems that work just as well. Right, and you don't have to worry about it. Right. Well, it, you know, if, if you are sanctioning it, you should probably talk to your WPN rep about getting W getting some kind of card or something uh available but like this is uh if it's not sanctioned then you can do whatever you want yeah i think it's called challenge with an o i think that's the one uh, i have heard of the challenge yeah challenge i don't know if it's pronounced that way but i always say it that way i appreciate that also also if it's if it's a small if it's a small event uh and you're at a con and like let's say you don't even have a, a computer and you're running like a set number of rounds you can actually run it on note cards um, so there's a, there's a, a procedure for running events manually, uh, especially if you've only, if you've got like 20 players and you're only running and it's like, what is it? Uh, if it's a dining event at, at a game convention, so that probably means that it's going to be capped at like three to four rounds. Um, you can, you can just pair people with like scores, uh, manually and not even have to worry about work. Provided that you've, you know, the number of players is is small enough, and the, and the you don't have to do any sort of tiebreaker math or anything like that. All right, so moving on to our next question. Uh, our next question is from Kevin. Kevin says, "So this may be a bit more ethics than rules, but I wanted another interpretation. I and another player were playing a game of Kaladesh Limited. I'm at two. My opponent is at four. I have a Malfist Doorbuster tapped and five energy." My opponent has an empty board. She proceeds to draw and play a Speedway Fanatic. I have no cards in hand that can prevent it from hitting me. She then proceeds to sit there for a few moments and claim that she has no way to win because the doorbuster will keep her from blocking. She then throws her hand in the middle of the battlefield. I interpret this as a concession and ask, so are you conceding? She doesn't answer initially, then begins picking up lands. Her hand is still on the table, and I start scooping up. A bystander points out that her Fanatic has haste. She says she was rushed and wants to declare the legal attacks. The judge ruled that her actions were a concession. Would you agree? Uh, this is a, a, a pretty specific scenario. 
Um, so I would say that she probably conceded in that. I don't know what this thing is about throwing your hand in the middle of the battlefield. I assume that's that's extending the hand for. No, I think she means literally the cards in her hand. Oh, oh she throws her hand in the middle of the battlefield. Yeah. I yeah. Think, like these are the know, cards I have. Yeah. OK. And she began picking up her lands with her all of her hands still on the table. Now that makes actual sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, when I so, read it, I read uh, it as you're reading it the first time, too. And I was like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> what is she doing? I'm thinking her physical hand. Yeah. Um, so first of all, it seems from this description, like a series of actions that is conceding. And secondly, I'd like to talk about the the bystander. <laughs> yes, this guy. Uh the bystander should not point out anything about the game at all. And what they have done in this case is give strategic advice. If this were a competitive rules enforcement level event, they would be given a penalty for outside assistance. Uh, now, so let me ask this: if the game if the game's over, yeah, then is he really is he really saying, oh no 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 no, your creature your your creature has haste. It, I think it depends. I think it depends entirely on the context. Like, so if it's if he believes the game is over, and he's saying you shouldn't have conceded because it has haste, that's not outside assistance. If he is trying to say no, 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 no don't concede, your guy has haste, yeah. then okay. then that actually would be. Mm, I don't know if I, 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 I definitely agree that he thought he was giving outside assistance, but if the game's over. It's, I still think I still think it's outside assistance. Like, do you know if this this may not be game three? Like, is the match still going? I don't know the answer to this question. Yeah. So. Well, okay. So if it's yeah, if it's not um, if it's not game three. So I was gonna say. So let's assume it's game three. Assume he gave this. I feel like if you explained the repercussions to him or her, the then he or she would agree the game is over. <laughs> Because if the game is over, what they said is fine. If it's not over, then what they said is outside assistance. Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, whether or not we have outside assistance here, I think we can we can all agree that there was a concession here, and we could talk to that yeah. player about it as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, the 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 player is saying, "Oh, I was rushed," and it sounds like that means I was rushed into conceding, right? Which is still conceding. And we, you know, we might talk about, well, what made you feel rushed? Was there something unsporting happening here? It doesn't sound like there was from this description, but anytime you have one side of an account, you, right. you don't really know what happened. Uh, with no disrespect to Kevin, I'm just saying, like, there are a lot of variables that we don't have eyes on in this situation. Yeah. Now, and, and some, something else here is she says that she was rushed and wants to declare lethal attack, that that isn't necessarily uh, lying to a judge. Okay. Is kind of like the way, the way, the way it's described is it's, I, I do want to, want to, want to clarify it's, it's being wrong is not necessarily the same thing as intentionally trying to be deceptive for an advantage. So. Okay. Cool. So our next email is from Tim. It's a quick one. Um, so our, our previous email was preparing for your first uh, PPTQ. Previous uh, episode. What did I say? Email. <laughs> uh, yeah, our previous episode was preparing for your first PPTQ. And uh, he sent us, and we talked about uh, having clocks to display. I th- I'm sure I mentioned having a Chromecast. Um, 
but he says that he'll use on a computer he'll use this program called xnote stopwatch um i took a look i asked him the important question was which is when it counts down all the way does it start counting back up and he says yes it does uh it looks like a computer program so you could also just use were in that case but um i'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes um, I also personally use online stopwatch is what it's called because uh, I'm pretty sure it'll work even if you don't have internet as long as you load the website the web page up before you you know get to where you're going. Um, so I have links to both of those in the show notes for just options for clocks when you're uh, at an event and maybe you're using your personal laptop as your clock or whatever. All right. All right. So the next one is. Oh wait, is that supposed to be oh. yours? No, I don't think so. That's supposed to be Brian's, right? Because you just yeah. read. I just took it. Well, no, which one? The clock one? Yeah. No, no, no. I said I, when we were oh, digging okay, up, okay. I said I'll take Brett. Good. Okay. Hi, guys. Uh, I don't know if you could take Brett. <laughs> what, in a fight? Yeah. I'll do it. Brett, can I take you in a fight? I'm going to say yes, because I have the microphone and you don't. <laughs> All right. Brett asked the question. I have a question about altered cards and their legality. Not tournament legality, but Watsy lawsuit legality. Oh. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, not a lawyer. Um, so the question is, uh, there's lots of artists out there that do altered art commissions uh, at tournaments and on Etsy. These artists generally use paint, and it's totally legal uh, for them to sell, though they can't cover up the converted mana costs and certain aspects of the card. Now, what about uh, digital artists? Uh, if someone removes part or all of a card and replaces it uh, with printed art, it is... Uh, it is now considered a proxy and now illegal. Um, I totally understand how proxies are not tournament legal, as they are not technically a card that Wizards has provided. But to sell these proxies is illegal. I just don't get it. It's still custom art. Um, so again, not not a not a lawyer, not a not a Watsi legal representative. Um, but it it feels when you're talking about I'm removing the surface of a card and placing a different surface of a card, a, a different printing of the surface on, on a card that, that, that right there seems a whole lot like, uh, um, um, I want to say what you're looking for is counterfeiting. Yeah. counterfeiting. Uh, so, so uh, again, not a lawyer here, but let, let me just break it down. Like no this. Judge cast. We're not that it, kind of judge. So, so, if you if – if I took a magic card and I scraped off however you do it, the, the all of the art, okay, then I drew a picture of Mickey Mouse on this card, okay, I could sell that. That's not illegal. There's nothing illegal about doing that, okay? Uh, if I, if I you know, made up my own characters and, and printed them off on these cards and then, and then started selling them, also not illegal – where you get into problems is where you start using intellectual property that belongs to somebody else. Like, for example, mana costs and types and names of cards. These are all things that belong to Wizards of the Coast. You're reproducing them, and it's not original stuff. It's not your stuff, the artist. It's Wizards of the Coast's stuff, and they don't like that. Now, how much of it has to be Wizards of the Coast stuff before it becomes a problem? Well, that's really where you get into this gray area that we don't want to touch. We, we don't know the answer to this question. It, it really it really becomes uh, do they notice <laughs> and, right. they, and do they do they care and th that's really the question that they need to d determine. And this is as our as the, as Brent mentioned, this is so outside of tournament policy entirely. It, we we don't even know. 
Yeah, but but as as a as a general rule, companies tend to like to protect their their intellectual properties, mm-hmm. and especially when you start getting into into areas where where you know the word counterfeiting is a pretty powerful word and carries with it a lot of negative connotations. So, um, you know, businesses and companies that don't uh, protect their their intellectual property tend to find it harder to protect their intellectual property in the in the future. So I would I would stay away from this with a with you know I wouldn't touch it with a ten foot cattle prod. I I wouldn't touch it with your ten foot cattle prod. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. That's it for our emails. Uh, just a general reminder, if you want to have your email read on a future episode, um, keep them a little shorter. Fewer cards, the better. People just don't want to hear us read off your EDH situation with five cards and then try to... It's just too much. It's too much. It's too much, man. It's too much. I can't, I can't do it. It's too much. There was that one EDH question where the guy sent in like three cards with replacement effects yeah. and asked what all the combinations were. And I told him, I was like, no, 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 you need to you need to give me all the answers and then I'll just tell you if you're right. And he provided all of them to his credit. And then I just didn't, <laughs> didn't reply. Totally. <laughs> well, I start I, I started going through the, I started going through them and I was like, yeah, the first one checks out. The second one checks out. And I get to the third one. I was like, ah, I don't. This is not how I want to spend my evening. Yeah. So great. But thanks for all the emails we got. We had a ton more than that, but you know, once again, you don't want to hear them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some of them. Some of them are pretty good. We just didn't. We cut them for time or other reasons. Oh yeah. Judge, yeah. Judge Cast. You don't want to hear them. You don't want to hear it. Well, some are things we've talked about before, which I don't mind answering the email again, but I'm not going to say it on the air again. Um, so we had a good one here. Well, like one had to do with some card I'd never even heard of. Well, okay, fine. I did I did do the illicit auction one, but whatever. That, that's a fun card. That's a fun card. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, but if you want to email us, you can. It's, uh, I almost gave my own personal email there. I feel like I've done nice. that before. Uh, at judgecast at gmail.com. I mean, my personal email is my name at gmail. I'm not going to. It's public. Did it. Um, so judgecast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast or like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash judgecast, which is all also just my personal name. If you were trying to find me at any of these things, everything except my Steam account is just my personal name. You can find it. All right, guys. <laughs> Anything else? I got nothing. Brian? Nope. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. My name's Cedar Trader. I keep it fair. I'm Just Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman, and I play Hermit Druid in Legacy. Okay, what about now? Yeah. That is much better. Yep. Okay. All right. And the Funk Soul Rover. What? What? The Funk Soul Rover. Check it out now. The Funk Soul Rover. It's Funk Soul Brother. It's not Funk Soul Rubber. <laughs> You're what's, Funk Soul Rubber. What's shut up? Check it out. All right. Oh. Funk Funk Soul Rubber. That funk is it's so not rubber. Funk Soul Rubber. <laughs> I feel like I had this exact same discussion with my wife like five years ago and forgot. <laughs> what exactly is a Funk Soul Rubber, by the way? It's a Funk Soul Brother. I don't even want to know what what that is. A Soul Brother is. I mean, that's an actual phrase. 
Funk Soul Rubber is like some sort of weird condom. Check it out now. This funk is so rubber. No. No, this funk is so rubber. What? That is... That's not... That's... (laughs) Well, I mean, if Raise the Roof was a thing, why not this funk is so rubber? (laughs) You know, Baby's Got Back, Raise the Roof, funk is so rubber. That song's name was Rockefeller Skank? Yeah. (laughs) I had no idea. Oh, man. And and you know what? You're gonna check it out now. Yeah, I right about right about now. Three twenty seven radio edit. Seven twenty seven album version. Why can't <laughs> I have the seven minute version? That would be so rubber. It's not. <laughs> I love the fact that you thought it was funk soul rubber. I know funk, funk soul rubber. <laughs> I know you do. Like I didn't do any of the normal like GP hangout stuff for the most part. It was just like work, sleep, work, sleep. Yeah. So a GP for me. <laughs> Old man CJ. Mm-hmm. He is not. He is not a funk soul brother. That <laughs> uh, funk soul rubber. Funk soul. Funk soul rubber. Porculus. 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 Checking, checking grout now. Funk soul rubber. Checking grout now. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. about it's about uh fixing fixing the bathroom. Yeah, you gotta. Like yeah, I mean you gotta make sure you got your silicone caulk. I thought it was about shoes. The soul rubber. Soul. <laughs> <laughs> this funk soul rubber. Like it's really smelly shoes. <laughs>